You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. The shortest job I've ever had was only one shift long. After that, I quit. It was driving a food truck to construction sites in the late 80s. I'd spent one shift with the woman training me and I realized I I can't do this. I wasn't about to wear short shorts and a cut-off tee, and it was an awkward shift. After the third stop, I I stopped waving at all the guys whistling, because I realized they weren't whistling at me. But I've also experienced jobs where I've wanted to quit, but didn't. And looking back, I'm so glad for those too. And not just jobs, experiences that I wanted to walk away from. In 1991, it was my last year of university, and I was... I was pretty discouraged. I just wanted to quit. It wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. It was seminary, and in a few months I'd be graduating and looking for a career as a pastor. But I was disillusioned. And so one Friday evening I decided, that's it. I'm done. And I asked Amy to get in the car, and we headed out of town to the big city to hang out with friends for the weekend in another town. This was an older couple in our life who were kind of like mentors to us. You know those people you want to be with when you're making a tough decision? These were them for us. Our friends cared for us that weekend. No judgment, just love. Their church had a special guest that Sunday. We just happened to be there for it. He was a singer from Britain. He was a former rock star from the 70s. Now it was the 90s. So a former British rock star from the 70s eh, sounded kind of cool. So we decided to go for the service and then afterwards head back home. I remember we sat at the back on the left side. Now this was a big church, probably seated about 500 people at least, and it was packed. And the guy sang some songs and in between he'd tell stories with his British accent. And it was quite enjoyable actually as I think about it. But at one point towards the end of the service, he said that he felt that God had a message for someone in the room. Now, like you, I'm rolling my eyes thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. I've been to enough tent meetings growing up that I've had a bad taste in my mouth for sensational Christianity. But he then points to the far back on the left side, and he says, you, young man, I'd like you to come up here. I think I have something to tell you. Now, I just happen to be sitting in the far back left side of this full church, And we're all looking around at each other. You know, the confusion was heightened because nobody wanted to be that young guy. Someone behind me kind of pushed my shoulder and said, I think he means you. Now, as I kind of lurched forward from his push, the singer says, yeah, you. And I look back at Amy and back at him, and he says again, please, come here. I'm shocked and completely weirded out. I make the long walk to the front of this church where he puts the microphone down and he says to me quietly, you're believing a lie. He tells me I need to turn around and go back to where I'm running from. Now there was more he said, but that was really what I needed to hear. I walked back to my seat and Amy asked what he said and I just looked at her and said, we're going home. I'm going to finish. I'll never forget that night. We drove home on pure inspiration. We saved so much gas. Now, recently I asked Amy how she remembered that night 30 years ago. 
I wanted to know if it was as weird as I remembered it. And she said, oh yeah. I haven't had a lot of moments that were so defined, so clear like that in my life. I don't think we should have many of them. I think we should just wake up to the ones we do have and act on them. Three years ago, I searched for that old rock star on the internet and I found him. I reached out to him with an email and within 24 hours we were having an online conversation. I asked him if he remembered that night by chance 30 years ago. I was hoping he'd say, oh yeah, I remember exactly that night. It was magical. I think of you often. I was hoping he would say, I remember you were so good looking as a young man for your age. I thought, wow, already blessed. Come on, God, save some for others. I was hoping he would say, Aaron, that experience was so powerful. I wrote a book. The movie's coming out soon. Andrew Garfield's playing you. Instead, he told me he didn't remember that night. For him, he traveled a lot. He told me that his wife had just filed for divorce and he was struggling. He was encouraged by how much of an impact that night had on me. We wished each other well. He said, you reaching out to me all these decades later was was good for me to hear. And hearing that he himself was now struggling actually brought me comfort. We shared a common humanity. And that he didn't remember it at all, believe it or not, reminded me that God moves through us. And sometimes we don't even know it. That night stands out as a miracle in my life. The unexpected. The miracle used to be that this man called me out of a crowd of 500 people and knew some details that nobody shared with him. But I've come to realize that wasn't a miracle at all. In fact, he doesn't even remember it. Couldn't have been that amazing. Now I realized the miracle was that I came back and found the strength to finish school. The miracle was that I chose to try again. You see, sometimes I think we get it backwards. I like to define miracle as the unexpected. God is constantly inviting us into participating in the unexpected. This week I was thinking about Peter, Jesus' first disciple. I was wondering how he told people when they asked, how did you ever meet Jesus? Like, what's the connection? Peter, you of all people. Like, how did this happen? And I wonder if Peter would say, well, it's a miracle, really. Completely unexpected. Yeah, I was in a bad mood after a lousy night of fishing. And Jesus didn't seem to mind. Luke actually records the story for us in chapter 5. It's a beautiful morning. Jesus is telling stories to crowds that have gathered by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, as Luke's version tells it. There's fishermen washing their nets by the shore. They're tired. They fished all night and didn't catch anything. And they're cleaning their nets. Jesus, as he's telling stories to the crowd, finds himself being pushed down to the water's edge. So he gets in one of the empty boats and he sits down and he asks one of the fishermen if they wouldn't mind pushing out a little bit from the shore so he can continue to talk to the crowd. I imagine the fishermen continue with cleaning their nets while listening. And when he's finished, Jesus suggests to the fishermen to take the boat back out into the deep. Try one more time. Simon Peter objects at first. Master, I don't think so, he says. You see us cleaning these nets? We don't want to do this twice. After all, we've been out all night. There ain't no fish today. But then Simon politely concedes to the idea, Luke tells us. He says, but because you want us to. Okay. Out they go. 
They throw their nets back in the water, out in the deep. I don't know if you caught it. That was the miracle. What happened next is just the after credits. The massive catch of fish can be a distraction for us. So many fish that they have to signal to their partners in the other boat to come out and help them bring it in. The excitement can rob us of what really happened here. What was the miracle in this story? What was the unexpected? I know what I was told as a child. I know what first comes to mind as I read a story like this. But the more I think about it, my thoughts change. Often this story is referred to as the miracle catch of fish. But I want to suggest that that title's wrong. That the bigger miracle isn't the size of the hall. As I enter the story and find myself tired, discouraged, and most likely a little annoyed, the bigger miracle for me isn't the full nets, but that the boys found the steam to go back out and try one more time, that they trusted Jesus and surprised themselves. Understand that if Jesus wanted to do a miracle just for sensationalism, he could have filled the nets in the shallow. If this was supposed to be a moment when the crowds would gasp, he could do it so he gets all the credit. But this specific morning on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, the only ones who knew of Jesus' involvement were the two men in the boat. The crowd only saw the fishermen go back out to where the fish are, the deep, and bring home a large catch. No fanfare. You see, I think that's the way God seems to want it. I don't think the miracle happened in the deep water. I think the miracle is hidden deep in the hearts of these individuals who not only witnessed it, but seemed to embody it. When you change your definition of miracle to something unexpected, you realize that God has empowered us to do the miraculous every day, to engage in the unexpected. You know when you decide to pick up the phone and forgive your father or your sister or your friend? When you make that anonymous donation to the food shelter or when you bake a pie for your new neighbor? When you decide to visit that coworker in the hospital or even just send a thoughtful email to a friend who just lost a child? Or not to honk your horn when you're cut off in traffic? When you catch yourself having a selfish thought and you choose humility? Or when you choose kindness when sarcasm would be so much more satisfying? Miracles. All of them. Unexpected. I know some of those sound trivial. But I have been on the receiving end of those trivial miracles. And had overwhelming anger, fear, or shame miraculously subside. Isn't that the point? The miracle is that something so insignificant can alter something so significant. Simon Peter just takes his boat back to the deep. And his life is completely upended because of it. In 20 minutes, he'll walk away from it all to follow Jesus simply because it goes against his intuition. Miracles happen when the predictable is upended by the unexpected. You see, their lives were transformed after a tough night of fishing. How different would it have been if they had a successful night? It is often on the other side of failure or disillusionment that the greatest of opportunities presents themselves to us, and sometimes some of the biggest miracles. And Jesus tells them to go back out to the deep. Basically, he's saying, go where the fish are. I know you were just there several hours ago, but something's different this morning. It's the light of a new day. And sometimes I think that's all we need, the light of a new day. And someone else 
just to tell us a new try again. Sometimes we just need someone else to wake us up to see the light of a new day. Some things look different on a Thursday morning than they did on a Wednesday night. And too many of us give up on things because we think we've been there, done that. And the same outcome will meet us this time that met us last time. Psychologists call this learned helplessness. And just because something was true then doesn't mean it still has to be true now. Sometimes people give up and it becomes a mentality instead of the response to a difficult day. I have read this encounter with Jesus and Peter a thousand times, but never understood it like I do at the end of a busy, tired, and discouraged week. Today I am inspired by this encounter. I have come to understand that on days when I don't feel like continuing on a path that I've chosen, not even because of my failure, maybe it's someone else's failure, or maybe I'm just tired. I just need to rest. Give it the light of a new day. The perspective of a friend, the counsel of the wise, the caffeine of a double espresso, a bag of asparagus left on your porch. Sometimes after a long, hard night, I look around and find Jesus by the shores of my life, suggesting that I try it one more time. Get back in the boat. And like Simon, I object. I have all the excuses, too. You should hear me. I wonder how easy it would have been to have just said no to Jesus. In fact, he does hesitate. Luke records that he tells Jesus, um, you know, we've already been there all night and nothing. But okay, if you really want us to. That's him really just being polite. And as I look at the situation with the fishermen, I realized the risk was just so low. It might have taken them 10 minutes to roll back out into the deep, drop the nets. They could be back scrubbing again on the proper side of 30 minutes. I think about some of the times when I've said no. And it wasn't necessarily because the risk was too high. It was just because I was just too tired, too sick, and tired, too disillusioned. How many great things have we missed, not because they're too hard or out of reach, but we're just too discouraged or too tired? Now listen, don't get me wrong. I totally understand that there are moments when we need to hang up the towel and walk away from things. Some things are toxic in our lives and they're killing us. But this is about the times when the very things that are too easy to walk away from can actually save us. And this is where faith comes in. Faith is what lets us know the difference between the two. On this low-risk morning, They tried one more time, mumbling under their breath the whole way out to the deep. And to their surprise, they pull in more fish than they can handle. Simon is spooked by all of it. According to Luke's account, he tells Jesus to leave because he feels unworthy. Jesus responds by telling him not to be afraid. And he's invited to follow him, to be a part of his new community that he's starting, to be one of his disciples. This is a peculiar part of the encounter. After bringing in this catch of fish, what's Simon afraid of? Why is he filled with fear? Is he afraid of the fish? No. In this moment, I think he's afraid of his own worthiness. I think he's afraid that in this moment of all that he almost missed. I've been there. When you feel less than or unworthy of love and an encounter like this can fill you with shame. You can feel unworthy of it. 
And Jesus says, Simon, don't fear. Come on, we're just getting started. And they end up leaving the whole catch of fish on the shore. They walk away from the boat, from this career to follow Jesus. And his life is transformed in that action. It would have been so easy to say no. I think it would be a stretch to assume that all the fishermen were on the same page. I'm sure Simon Peter had to convince the others to get involved. And as I ponder that, I'm so glad for community, for friendships, for those who have encouraged me to go back out into the deep and try again. I think of the parish, this community that almost didn't happen. Some of you know the story. Ten years ago, I told a large room of people in a community called Cedarside that we as a church were coming to an end. There were some political and complicated reasons for it, but the end result was simply that our community was closing in a couple of weeks and we were done. After that service, one of you came to me and said, you can't close this faith community. I said, why not? And you said to me, it's because it isn't about you. And I said, well, then who's it about? And you said to me that it's about us. All of us, this community is bigger than a denomination or a rented room on a Sunday morning or even your desire to quit. And they were so right. Just because I wanted to give up didn't mean everyone else did. And so we tried one more time. The emphasis is on we. Ten years later, we are here. No small effort, but we have done this together. Maybe this is your narrative. Maybe you're the person that will encourage someone else to go back out and try one more time. Sometimes someone else's miracle can be big enough for both of you. Whether we're talking about faith or hope, or whether this is about belief in God or just belief in yourself. I meet so many people who've given up. This story doesn't inspire me to believe that God will fill your nets again. It inspires me that God can fill your heart again. It inspires me to keep trying that it is my choices that bring transformation, not my circumstances. Maybe you just realize most of what God asks us to do requires so little risk, mostly just time. Yet we risk so much by saying no. Or maybe you're expecting God just to do a miracle and you fail to realize you're the miracle God's waiting for. 